Welcome back to The Cattle Call. This is your host, Curtis Oldie. If this is your first time listening to The Cattle Call, I encourage you to look through the previous episodes. There are some great ones out there on the Tailgate Ranch as well as the CK Ranch. You can find The Cattle Call on most podcast platforms. I believe there's about 17 of them that are listed. So if you have one that you're not getting it on, feel free to reach out and we will make sure we get that podcast listed on that platform. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. One I was a little hesitant to put out. I started maybe trying to do this on part of the trailer, but after the last four weeks of sitting in on various conferences and listening to various speakers, in addition, the second half of this is going to be going on a little bit of a serious subject. After listening to those various speakers and conferences I've been part of, um, and I'll tell later on a little bit more about my history and, and other things that I do, but getting into mental health and talking about suicide prevention and getting the awareness out there. It's, a, it's an issue that we have. I saw a post come through on Facebook last week, which we'll talk about as well, but subject that we all need to be aware of and help out our fellow farmers and ranchers. We see them in need. So with that, a little bit about myself. As everybody knows, my name is Curtis Oldie, currently living in Baser, Kansas, outside of the Kansas City metro area. I wear multiple hats, which I'll probably wrap up with and kind of tell you a little bit about some of those, but thought I'd take you back and tell you a little bit about my history. I want to start out on my mother's side, uh, which is a Davis. The Davis family is one I don't know as much, but it's definitely the most interesting part of my family. I'm sure I'll hear from my cousins or my mother on messing the lineage up, but it was either my grandfather's grandfather or great-grandfather, who I believe came from Illinois, married a Blackfoot, and... They moved to Oklahoma where they resided until he was in a card game, shot an individual and fled to north central Kansas in the Sabetha area, which would actually be northeastern Kansas. His wife came up later after uh, he fled so they wouldn't get him. So that was probably the most interesting part of that family. But from the Davis side, we have the Blackfoot. We also have history of going back to supposedly on the English side to Winston Churchill some Scottish and Irish. The rest of me is three-quarter German. So the clay camp side is my mother's mother's side. On my father's side, we have the Herses, which uh, I didn't get the height from the Herse family. But the Oldie family, a little bit about them, and part of what got me interested in doing this podcast goes back to my aunt who passed away in 2021, and she was basically creating the family tree. And she actually traced the Oldie family back to Poitzen, Germany, in 1719, which was a long time ago. And one of those things I really was hoping to get to do with her is go to Germany and visit family over there. We always think we got time and then we run out of time. Oldies came to the United States in 1882, settled in the Lynn Palmer area. And there was a couple brothers that settled down in that area. So that's where pretty much all the oldies stem from. Actually, that's the where they all stem from is that going back to 1882. So anybody that asks about the oldie dairy, oldie seed farms, oldie cattle company, it all goes back to those original brothers that came over in 1882. So moving on to me growing up, I grew up in the Lynn area. My parents had a dairy. At the time, we probably had one of the larger dairies in the county. We milked about 150 cows, which was a lot of work. Something I really did not enjoy doing. Being in the dairy barn or the dairy parlor, as we would call it, was at least favorite thing that uh, I wanted to do. There's a lot of other things I would do, whether it was scraping lots, feeding, any time of the year. I, I would rather be outside than stuck in that milking parlor. Even if it was zero degrees out and that milking parlor was 
heated year round. That is where I grew up. My grandfather actually enjoyed doing wood carpentry work and things like that. And the story goes is my dad enjoyed showing cattle and being out and about actually showing dairy cattle, riding in the semis, I believe at that time. I don't know if it was early enough to ride train still or not. That was just one of those questions. I never had the opportunity to ask him, but that was things he enjoyed. Um, Later on, he ended up going into the military, and it was actually my grandfather that asked uh, dad to come home, take over for the dairy. He did have an older brother who had his own place, as well as a sister who was married and had their own dairy farm about an hour away, as well as a younger brother who had no interest really being as part of the dairy, and so he was actually a mechanic by trade and a very good mechanic at that. Traveled around the country a little bit from Oregon and ended up in Arizona. But my dad came home, took over the dairy, got married to my mother, and started a family. I have an older brother, David, who was born in 1970. I came in shortly after him in 72, had three more brothers that followed me, and we grew up on the dairy farm. I learned early on, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't like the milking parlor, so anything that had to do with livestock I kind of gravitated to. At that time, we would use beef bulls sometimes on our dairy females, especially the heifers. So we would have some of those crossbred, whether they're black baldies or even Angus heifers that we would uh, get. And so I'd naturally gravitate to those and ask dad if I could keep those. So that is my start in the beef cattle world was starting out with those early females, building a few animals. And then I remember when I was probably about 10 years old, a gentleman showed up. Dad asked me to go give him a hand to load up a cow-calf pair. And it was a cow that had recently calved. And one of those that I thought was going to be mine. But uh helped this gentleman load this cow-calf pair up. And he left. A couple weeks later, he came back and got another one. And I asked the gentleman what he was going to do with them. And he informed me that he had two boys in college. They were raising show bulls uh, or breeding bulls, and they were going to use them for nurse cows, which didn't make sense to me. But uh, I learned pretty quick what a nurse cow was, and uh, that was my first introduction to the Stewarts. Um, Conrad, who recently passed away, is the gentleman that was giving me the ride to go load the cows up, and I helped. And that was my first introduction to uh, Mid-Continent Farms, which a lot of people, I'm sure, are very familiar with now, so... Uh, I always give Greg a little bit of a hard time that he took my uh, first cows and took me longer to get started. But that was my first introduction to the Stewart. Later on, I had the opportunity to meet a lady by the name of Kathy Terrell, who worked at Oldie Cattle Company, and she was actually my 4-H beef instructor. And she would actually let me go over to the place there at Oldie Cattle Company. And at that time, they were raising a lot of club calves. So I would spend Sunday afternoons learning how to take a kick from a Kianea steer as I'd sit there and brush those steers down. That was my first introduction to the show steer side as they were getting those steers ready for an upcoming sale. Later on, my dad actually purchased me my first heifer. It was a bred heifer, a Marifax heifer. So that is where I started building my cow program. From there, I would add additional dairy cross females to the point where I would actually buy a few females from Oldie Cattle Company, which is owned by Tim Oldie, all the way through high school. Now, I remember when I was probably about 12 or 13, I sold a group of heifers, excuse me, I sold a group of steers. It was probably 1986. Cattle market was soft, but I needed to sell some lightweight steers. They were probably 350, 400. End up selling them at the sale barn to my banker, who the next year came back around. And as we were going through looking through inventory and they were checking like 
like bankers do is check in the inventories, make sure all the livestock are there that are accounted for. The banker informed me that that was the most money that he ever made on cattle and was really uh, happy with the group of steers they got from me. Which So that was my first introduction early on into what we would call a cattle cycle as prices continually going up and down. From there on, it seemed like the cattle market just took off. I added more and more cows to my program all the way through high school into college. What I was probably naive to at that point, which a lot of my older listeners are probably very well aware of, is something that was called the 80s farm crisis. And I was on the back end of that. I was young enough. I didn't really grasp what was going on at that time. But that was kind of what was coming out of at that time was the 80s farm crisis. Markets started coming back. Cattle prices started getting better. As I started making more money when I sold calves, I would buy more cows thinking this was the way it was always going to go. And I continually built that herd all the way up into the 90s. I graduated in 90 with a class of 16, which a lot of people anymore will give me a hard time about that. However, I was very fortunate. There was a lot of great individuals that came out of that class from an Air Force pilot, engineers, architects, bankers, and somewhere in the middle I was in there. So I was very fortunate to uh, be part of a small school that was very active. We were very active in ag when it came to vote ag mechanics and things like that. I didn't get the opportunity to do judging, had the opportunity to get my farmer's degree, which I'm very fortunate that I had the opportunity to do that. And then later on my American farmer degree. But one of my biggest regrets was I didn't have the opportunity to do any livestock evaluation or livestock judging and activities like that. I left there for Fort Hayes State University, actually rushed at Kansas State. Again, growing up on a dairy Kansas State was only 45 minutes to the north side of the campus from the farm, so I decided it was probably best to be about as far away as I could stand. So Fort Hayes is where I went. My dad knew individual out at the experiment station, talked very highly of him, so I went to Fort Hayes State. Fort Hayes State University was a great university for me. It was a small university, so for a young kid getting out, it was probably the best thing for me. I actually started college when I was 17, so the the first six months was a little nerve-wracking, if you will, for a kid who's never been off the farm, going that far away, um, not really knowing anybody, but I had a great opportunity to meet a lot of people. had a good roommate who I'm still in contact with, who is now up in Nebraska, actually was from Nebraska, but he relocated to eastern Nebraska from central Nebraska. Also had a great advisor, Dr. Gary Brower. He did a lot to guide me as I was finishing my time out at Fort Hayes State. Uh, Gave me some options and different ways to go. Two subjects I really enjoyed in college were genetics and reproduction. I actually gave my senior thesis on embryo transfer, and that was something I really wanted to get into and pursue. However, in the United States, we're very limited on what you can do unless you're a DVM. And that's probably a good thing when it comes to handling the drugs and the things that we're dealing with now. And it's probably maybe a route I should have looked into a little harder was going into being a veterinarian and and pursuing the reproduction side. After three and a half years, I think I had 20 plus hours my last semester trying to uh, wrap everything up in one semester versus spreading it out. I was teaching actually a student teacher for genetics, kind of burned myself out. So I went back home to the farm, did odds and ends, and continued building my beef cattle herd. And by this time, I was up over 100 commercial cows. One of the things that happened in 93, if a lot of you can remember, is we had a big flood. 
it rained all the time. We had a lot of flooding. And because of that, most of the pastures my cows were running on got what I would call very washy. There's a lot of grass, but we didn't have the dense nutrients that we needed to. As a result, and with quite a few of my cows being a higher percentage with Holstein in them or something to that effect, they milked great. But as a result, because of that milking, I didn't get the breed backs that I needed that year. So with a large group of open cows, what I ended up doing was talking to a gentleman who was wanting to put some embryos in. That was a guy by the name of Lester Lau. Lester Lau was the one who introduced me into the Charolais breed. I would say he became, at that time, a mentor of mine. I ended up leasing a group of cows from Lester in addition to carrying embryos from him. And I felt I I developed a very good relationship with Lester. Like I said, I, I would spend a lot of time with him. I was very fortunate at that time, not being locked down to a regular job. I had some freedom to where I could spend some time traveling with Lester, riding around, looking at cattle. Even rode out to Wyoming to help haul cattle back from the Bauman Ranch where he bought a trailer load. And got to learn a lot about the Charlet breed and his philosophy when it came to, to beef cattle. The one thing I learned early on with the Charlet breed at that time is they were high performance. Charlets are still high performance, but what I needed what I needed was something a little more similar to what my commercial cows were like. A little easier fleshed a little more moderate frame. So Lester did just that. He went up to Wink Charlet, Preston, South Dakota, which at some point I'd love to get the Wink family on here to talk their story. But we brought a couple bulls back, put one of those bulls in my group of cows, and that first generation changed a lot of things and maybe really enjoy the Charlet breed. However, that was short-lived. As I mentioned, there's this thing called a cattle cycle, and as 95 came around, the cattle cycle came back down. Without getting too far in the details, my cattle that fall were probably half the value of what they were previous year. And with a large amount of cattle that were recently purchased, it made things pretty tough. The other thing that made it tough was as cattle market was coming up, landlords were wanting more money for grass however when the cattle market tanked the grass price didn't follow at that time i was recently married had a son on the way and it was time to really start making some hard decisions on the future of what i was going to be doing i enjoyed living where i did being around the people i did being around the people i have known all my life doing what i enjoyed doing However, at the time, it just wasn't financially feasible for me to stay where I was. In order for me to support my family, the decision was made to move to Leavenworth County, where I worked in Kansas City as a pipe fitter, to Leavenworth County, actually Easton, where we ended up building, where we started a small farm. I started in the apprenticeship program with the pipe fitters, which was a five-year commitment. And with all the changes, I had to make some big decisions also on my livestock, which I didn't really want to do. And individuals like Lester Lau didn't want to see me do either because unfortunately I had to let a lot of those cows go. So in 1996, I moved to Leavenworth County, as I mentioned. Easton became our home. We had our son, Taylor. And then several years later, Logan, my daughter, came along. And I was very fortunate. My kids both enjoy showing cattle. They enjoy the livestock. They enjoy agriculture. So I'm very fortunate. And I would say when we start reevaluating our lives, the biggest things that we, a lot of times when we look back on life, we look at those things that we regret, things that we didn't do. However, what we really need to look at is our accomplishments. And I would say I'm like a lot of parents. I'm a very proud parent, but my two children will always be my greatest accomplishment. While in Easton, I unfortunately got divorced, which happens to a lot of us. And that was a very trying time and also challenging time when you have children, but you do what you have to do to make it work. And I'm fortunate that my ex-wife and I 
have a good dysfunctional relationship, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Our main focus is making sure that our children are taken care of and put them in front of everything that we do. As I mentioned earlier, I do wear a lot of hats. From being a full-time pie fitter, working for Siemens, running their mechanical division, covering the area from basically all of Kansas down to Oklahoma City over to Tulsa, all of Iowa, Nebraska, and then from Sioux City over to Rapid City, South Dakota, supporting mechanics in that area. Another hat I wear is a training instructor. I do specialty classes at the Pipe Fitters Training Center, teaching a wider range of classes, which I've been doing for the last 20 plus years. Also teach at an international level. I teach a magnetic bearing compressor class on magnetic bearing compressor technology. That class takes me to Michigan at least once a year, if not more than that. I've also became a safety specialist for our local, teaching OSHA 30 and other safety classes like Arc Flash. In addition to that, I still run cattle. I have some registered Charlay cows, Red Angus cows, and American Aberdeen full bloods and percentages, as well as a handful of commercial cows. So I keep my hands pretty full in addition to running two different podcasts at the moment. So one of the things as we start to transition here is talking about life balance. I'm a pretty good example of having life balance uh, probably out of whack. There's not a lot of free time. So one of the things is as farmers and ranchers, we have a lot of obstacles and life challenges that present themselves to us. I'll share a couple with you. In 2018, I actually moved to Baser from Leavenworth and had the bright idea that it might be easier to lease land, send my cattle out on contract to be taken care of so I could focus more on work. Found an individual that would winter my cows, actually even had pasture. Everything sounded great. However, at the time, as time goes on, I noticed that maybe things were being neglected a little bit, maybe not uh, being cared for like I would have. And early on, I noticed there was a handful of cows that I started missing. And as I got those cows picked up that were there, uh, there was a group of cows I ended up leaving and told the individual that uh, we needed to find out where the rest of these cows were and I would pick them all up at the same time. That led into 2019 with COVID. Things got busy to the point where I finally got a hold of the individual and and uh, fortunately still hasn't been resolved. we got about 16 cows that are missing and you know, as we go through, there's lots of life challenges that we go through there. And there's a lot of things that I know I should have done different. However, trying to recover from a loss of 16 animals that uh, after talking with lawyers, it's not, you don't know if it's worth pursuing. And that's, that's challenging and it's heart wrenching and financially hard on anybody. In 2020, I had a group of cows still out on pasture. And if you guys remember 2020, it was extremely cold. We had about three weeks of really bad weather, probably about two and a half of really bad weather. Temperatures didn't get out of the teens single digits i was breaking ice on one pasture every day and then uh, one day i came over to that pasture it was one of those mornings where it just kind of sun was out the wind was down i came up to the pasture where the pond was and noticed that there was something just didn't look right you know when you're looking at a pond it's got ice covered on it. it's usually nice and smooth and Things just didn't look right. When I got up a little closer, I realized that I had a group of cows get up on top of that pond and went through. For me, that was one of those moments where it's, for me, that was a moment where I was really sick to my stomach. It was tough. Several of the cows that went through were donor cows. One was an Angus cow that I was looking to build the Angus program around. It's actually still cold enough where we couldn't get those cows out at that time. We had to actually wait for it to warm up a little bit to where we get the ice broke, where we could pull the cows out. I was also knew I was missing a couple calves at that time 
time who after it thawed out we found out that a calf and a couple cows actually went under the ice that we couldn't see at that time so it was just a devastating time and then to add the insult to it was basically fishing the cows out of the pond bringing them up and then disposing of them and the whole process was just a big gut punch and the reason i bring all this up is there's a lot of things we do in agriculture that are just gut-wrenching tough and challenging to us on a daily basis and that's going to lead us into talking a little bit about mental health and suicide as i mentioned i wear a lot of different hats i was fortunate here recently to attend several conferences and one of those individuals Jimmy Yuri, a country singer. And part of the reason I'm telling my story is his speech was basically telling your story. Open up, let everybody know who you are. And that's what he uses when he's writing his country songs. And he's had everybody from Tim McGraw and everybody like that who have used his songs. So that's the first part of me doing this. The second part is I was actually recently in San Diego listening to a speaker by the name of Josh Rizzo. Josh was an Army veteran. He was actually a West Point graduate, veteran of Desert Storm, and as a result, had seen a lot of death in his life, more than probably anybody should have to see. And so his his whole speech was talking about his struggles. As a military individual, he felt that he could handle anything. You know, he's if you needed something done, Josh could get it done for you. But one day he said he just broke down and he couldn't figure out why. He felt he was weak. He felt there was people with bigger problems than him. And why some people feel certain ways and how some people things don't bother, it it's, doesn't make sense. We are all wired differently and why some things affect certain people that don't affect other people yet it may be some small thing, maybe what gets you. Another speaker not necessarily talking about mental health use the scenario of a, a Jenga puzzle, which I've never done the Jenga, but we look at ourselves as this Jenga puzzle, if you will, and we start pulling little pieces out and we're holding everything together and everything's going great. However, it's just that one little block that gets pulled out and everything comes crashing down and it's different for everybody. Another part that kind of brought this up or this subject up was last week I saw a post from Casey Hahn. I believe she's in DeWitt, Nebraska, posted a post on Facebook that kind of made the rounds. Assuming it was her husband that was trying to recover a calf and doing everything he could put into this calf to get it to recover and, and bring it back. And, and it, they lost the calf. Those are things that as farmers and ranchers, we deal with on a daily basis. And this is the part that it's kind of two-part. I want our consumers to hopefully listen to this as time goes and understand the challenges that we go through on a daily basis to take care of these animals and keep them going. For our farmers and ranchers out there, I want you to realize that there's resources if you need somebody to talk to, to go out to. And I'm hoping to post those out here as at the end, as well as I want to try to make it a goal within the next year to try to have some, have a platform where individuals, questions, needing somebody to talk to, have a place to reach. There is a lot of resources out there, but a lot of resources are related more towards general public. So trying to find a, a platform form for farmers and ranchers to reach is is something i'm going to make a goal of to do you know another part of that is actually spent the weekend uh down seeing my son who's calving out first calf heifers and he actually went through the same thing that casey kind of posted it was a light pull didn't seem like anything out of the abnormal but the calf came out he ended up doing the madigan squeeze gave various shots tubed the calf pour everything into it the next day the calf was in the house the heifer cleaned the calf off claimed it calf just wouldn't get up and go and and it's frustrating you put a lot of effort and you put all this energy and time into this animal animal and and at the end of the day it's out of your hands so a few things i want to go over is 
In July of 2022, they established a 988 suicide line. So I want to let everybody know that there is that out there. There's also a 211. I'm not sure how many states have that. I believe in Kansas, it actually goes to the United Way. And as for if anybody has questions about mental health and so forth, you can get with them. Going a few through a few things, I'm just going to throw a few scenarios out here for you. From the Daily Yonder, Jan Talski, and I'll have this link on the show notes as well. But 45% of farmers and ranchers' suicides in the past 15 years were committed by people aged 65 and older from a study. That group constitutes only a third of the farmers and ranchers in the population. In general population, over 65 and older make up 17% of the suicides. And one of the things I found interesting was in this studies that they've got they all come from the cdc however there's only 17 states that are included in that cdc report from the national farmers union they kind of elaborate on a little bit more they stated that the cdc information from the 17 states reported they only represent about one-fourth of nation's farmers another important role is that study does not include self-employed farmers and ranchers or managers in 2012 this group was the rated Number one in 2015, or in 2012, that group was rated number one in 2015, number third. Industry-wide, 17th and 15th, respectively, for those years. Most of our farmers and ranchers are owners or managers. Hopefully, we'll start seeing some things come up for more awareness for that. The last thing I'm going to bring up that I found interesting was... There's an 11% decrease in farmers and ranchers who say stigma is an obstacle to seeking help or treatment for mental health condition. However, a majority, 61%, still agree it's an obstacle. So at some point, we have to work harder to get over the stigma that mental health is an issue and we can deal with it. I would say probably the biggest struggle with mental health when it comes to rural communities is rural communities are great for helping each other out. You have neighbors. If, if you need something, there's always somebody there for you. The downfall of that, though, is everybody knows everybody's business. And it's really hard for somebody to open up about something like that when there is such a stigma about it. So a couple other things things I'll go over is the 988 crisis line again will be in the show notes put a lot of our faith in God and, and prayer so I've got a link in there for the Lutheran church which I'm a member of the Missouri Synod Lutherans so there's some stuff in there for mental health there's also through NCBA a couple short videos that they did on cattlemen's cattlemen this last summer in June some are four minutes some are one minute but there's some information there about mental health as well. I want to thank you for listening to this episode. Talking about myself certainly isn't one of those things I really enjoy doing. And also talking about mental health and suicide rates. It's it's a heavy subject, but it's something we need to be aware of. Those of us in agriculture are four times greater risk of suicide and mental health. So so what I'm hoping to do is bring a little bit of awareness to it. Let everybody know I'm going to use this as a platform to help anybody out. In the future, look for more information on mental health and suicide, as well as resources for anybody in need or wanting to know more. Thank you for listening to The Cattle Call. I'll see you in two weeks on The Cattle Call.